If you have your Bible this morning, let's turn together to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14, as we uh, now we're right at the halfway point uh, of our series through the Gospel of Matthew, uh, here at Matthew chapter 14. And kind of an interesting text this morning, one that is very familiar, I think, probably to most of us, is, is a story that's well told uh, in the beheading of John the Baptist. Uh, and so there's a lot of things that I want us to look at from this text this morning, and, and what we'll do first is just kind of walk through the entirety of the text and give us some, some background and some understanding of, of what's taking place and the characters involved here in this text And then where I want us to spend the rest of our time is looking at the comparison between someone who fears man and someone who fears God. Uh, There's a powerful contrast here uh, between John the Baptist and Herod and one who fears man and one who fears God. Matthew chapter 14, let's stand together for the reading of God's Word. We'll be reading verses 1 through 12. Matthew chapter 14. The Scripture says, At that time Herod the Tetrarch heard the news about Jesus and said to his servants, This is John the Baptist. He has risen from the dead, and that is why miraculous powers are at work in him. For when Herod had John arrested, he bound him and put him in prison because of Herodias, the wife of his brother Philip. For John had been saying to him, It is not lawful for you to have her. And although Herod wanted to put him to death, he feared the crowd because they regarded John as a prophet. But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before them and pleased Herod, so much that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she asked. Having been prompted by her mother, she said, Give me here on a platter the head of John the Baptist. And although he was grieved, the king commanded it to be given because of his oaths and because of his dinner guests. And he sent and had John beheaded in the prison. And his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother." And his disciples came and took away the body and buried it, and they went and reported to Jesus. You can be seated. We find here in this passage the only mention of Herod in, this, uh, in, in Matthew's gospel. Now, uh, the other writers mention him in other places because the man we're talking about here is Herod Antipas. And Herod Antipas was the son of Herod the Great. And we know Herod the Great uh, there at the beginning of the gospel of Matthew as the one who was the ruler at the time of which... Jesus was born. He was the one who had all of the infant children killed in, uh, in the region there. That was this Herod's father, Herod the Great. And so Herod the Great, when he died, his, his region was split up in, amongst his sons. We have uh, Herod here, Antipas. He also had another bro- uh, brother named Philip, and then a third brother, uh, Archelaus. And so his kingdom was divided amongst the, the three of them. And so tetriarch, the term tetriarch actually means the ruler of a quarter part uh, of a region, but came to be known as just anyone who was the ruler of a province under the Roman Empire. And, and so the only other time that we see Herod appear in the Gospels again, again, not in Matthew, but in the other Gospels, is when Jesus' trial was taking place and he stood before Herod. It was the same Herod that we see here in this passage. Now, what's interesting is that Jesus' ministry has now been going on for quite a while, and and miraculous things have been taking place all throughout the region. I mean, the dead have been raised, the the blind have been healed, the deaf have been healed, the lame are walking again, sickness and disease have been eradicated in in many towns, and and the news was continuing to spread from place to place, so much so that, as we've seen here, that Jesus could hardly go anywhere without drawing a crowd. Everywhere he went, masses of people were following after him. Now, 
We would notice this today, right? If you went anywhere and somebody was walking through town and masses of people were following after them, everyone would want to know, well, who is this? What's, what's happening? What's going on? And even more so in the time in which Jesus lived, because of the smaller numbers of the people, of the residents of the town, this would have been a much more visible sight as all of these people were flocking to hear what Jesus had to say. But it says, the Scripture tells us that it wasn't until this time that Herod heard the news about Jesus. How, how could it be that he had just now heard the news of what was taking place? And well, really part of it has to do with, if you look at the background of who Herod was, Herod was a very self-indulgent man. He, he lived his own life in, in considerate of what he wanted and, and bringing things to himself. So he wasn't really concerned with the things that were happening in the outside. As long as he was happy, as long as he was satisfied, and as long as everything seemed to be under control, he wasn't really concerned, especially what was happening in the religious sector. As long as everything was, was calm and, and collected, because he had to give a report to Rome and, and ruling this providence, so as long as nothing too out of sorts was taking place, he wasn't really concerned with anything that was happening in the religious circles. Uh, but Jesus's popularity and the power of Jesus' ministry had grown to the point now that it could no longer be ignored. And so this word came to Herod. And it's interesting because uh, Matthew puts it this way and Mark puts it that he was told this, but really it's the kind of the whole idea of when, when Herod heard about what was taking place. Notice what his response is. He says, he says to his servants, this is John the Baptist. He has risen from the dead, and that is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Now, what's interesting about this is the fact that many people believe that, that Herod was a, was a Sadducee by profession. He was, that was kind of his mind of how he believed in things. And as you study the Bible, we understand that the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection from the dead. Now, they did not believe that that actually took place. But what we find here now is that Herod hears this news about this man named Jesus. And that this man named Jesus is going around doing all these miracles, preaching powerfully, preaching with authority, preaching with, with, with something that's not been recognizable in men before. And it's something that everybody's taking note of. And the first thing that comes to Herod's mind is that this is John the Baptist. Which again is interesting because John the Baptist never performed any miracles. He just preached with power and authority, much as Jesus was doing. But the only thing that Herod could think was, this has to be John the Baptist who has come back from the dead. And the reason that Herod thought this way is because Herod's conscience was haunted by what he had done in the past. And what he had done in the past is verse 3. It says, when Herod had John arrested, he bound him and put him in prison. Now we're going to go on to see, as we've already read in the text, that eventually Herod would have John the Baptist killed. And there was this conscience, this guilty conscience, that caused Herod to be haunted by what had taken place. And so as soon as he hears of anybody or this person named Jesus who, who seems to be in the same type of spirit and power as John the Baptist was, the first thing that comes to his mind is, he's come back from the dead. What am I going to do? How, how am I going to handle this? Because fear can cause even the strongest of opinions to be swayed. As Spurgeon said of Herod, he said he had enough conscience to scare him, but not enough to change him. So Herod immediately begins to think that John the Baptist has come back in miraculous working power. And the reason, again, he's afraid of John is because he had thrown him in prison. 
And it's interesting if you look at what happens in, in verse 3, because it says that he had had him thrown in prison because of Herodias, the wife of his brother Philip. For John had been saying to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. So what we can understand clearly from Matthew's description is, is that Herod, Antipas, had married his brother Philip's wife, Herodias. Now, it's a little more complicated than Matthew alludes to here. And this right here is like National Enquirer scandal headline type of thing. Now, I'm going to try to explain this to you. But, but I'll be honest, even in studying this week, as I'm trying to, to trace the lineage of the family and put all of this together, it's one of the most confusing things that you hear about. So again, Herod had several brothers. One of his brothers was Philip. Now, Philip had married Herodias. Now, Herodias was not just his now wife, but Herodias was the daughter of his half-brother. So his wife was his niece by his half-brother. And so then, in some sort of events, Herod had gone to visit his brother Philip, and while he was there, he fell in love with Herodias, and she fell in love with him. So he went back and divorced his first wife, she divorced Philip, and they married. So now Herod has not only married his brother's wife, but he also has married his niece. Now it mentions Herodias' daughter here in the passage. Herodias' daughter would go on later in life to marry another brother of her stepfather slash uncle. Continuing the wicked, incestuous freak show that's happening here. But I say all that because here's what's happening. It was something that was well known. It wasn't something that was hidden. The people knew this. And in fact, unfortunately to say, it's like this, this was not uncommon, especially in leaders and in royalty in, in that period of time. There was oftentimes a lot of, of incestuous relationships between cousins and, and half-cousins and brothers and half-brothers and sisters and all of these things of how the relationships mingled together. We look at that today in, in astonishment, and even so did John. Because John stood up to Herod and he said, it is not lawful for you to have her. And the tense that Matthew uses here indicates that this was not just something that John said on one occasion, but that he repeatedly had gone to Herod over and over and told him, you cannot do this. It is not right in the eyes of God. It is not lawful in the eyes of God for you to have this relationship. Because there were several things that Herod had done in this relationship. Number one, he had divorced his wife without cause. Number two, he had committed adultery. Number three, he had committed incest. All of these things were forbidden by the Word of God. Now, what's interesting is some of the other gospel accounts give us this fact that, that in the beginning that, that Herod was, was astonished by John the Baptist and, and most likely astonished because of his boldness. Because you remember, Herod here is the ruler of this region of Galilee and this area in this region where Jesus is. And so here's this man... Again, this really nobody, this man coming out of the wilderness, eating locusts and wild honey, dressed in a camel's hair garment, this, this itinerant preacher who nobody knew until he arrived on the scene and began to cry, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He comes before Herod and has the courage and the boldness to just say, you're wrong and you've got to stop. And so it was perhaps this boldness that attracted uh, Herod to John in the beginning, but Scripture tells us that the more this went on, he became more and more frustrated with John. And verse 5 tells us, he says, he wanted to put him to death. What's interesting is we see in the course of Herod's life that what sin does in the life of an individual is that sin begat sin begat sin. 
It just goes this horrible process of one sin leading to another sin, to another sin, to another sin. And without repentance, and without turning to Christ, without turning to God, sin will carry you further than you ever thought you would go. Because I told you that the sin of progression, he had divorced his wife, committed adultery, committed incest. Now we see that he desires to put him to death. And what does Jesus tell us about hatred? Jesus says that if you hate your brother, that God sees that as murder. So even before John the Baptist is beheaded by Herod, Herod has already committed the sin of murder in his heart, which God holds you just as guilty as if you went out and killed someone, as if you hate your brother in your heart. And then it goes on. He's going to be motivated by lust in just a little bit. So we see this, this, this continual horrible progression of what sin does in an individual's life. So he says he wanted to put him to death, but he feared the crowd because they regarded John as a prophet. All of those who had heard John the Baptist preach, they knew that he proclaimed truth. They knew that he proclaimed the word of God because he did it with such boldness and with such power. They recognized it in John in the same way they recognized it in Jesus because they had never heard anyone be able to stand up with such authority and proclaim the truth of God's word in such that way. And so it's important to know here because this is where you begin to see this fear of man in, John, in, in Herod's life that we're going to come back to in just a moment. It says he feared the crowd because they regarded John as a prophet. He, he most likely feared that if he killed or did anything with John the Baptist, that the people would instigate a revolt. Why? Because they viewed this as a man from God, and he was a man sent from God. Herod didn't believe that, but he knew the people did. And he knew the danger of what would happen if he had John the Baptist killed. So he was really in a tough place, because he wanted John dead, because he hated John. He hated what John had said to him. He hated how it made him look in front of others. He hated the fact that he had been criticized for his life and for his actions. But he was also on the other side, if I kill John, then I'm going to be in a much similar place. So he feared John to be alive. He feared John to be dead. And in fact, the book of Mark tells us that from the very first moment when John first spoke to Herod, that his wife Herodias desired for him to be dead. So here you have this man who stands and, and proclaims the truth of God, and immediately, from the very first word that comes out of his mouth, they want to kill him. I think it's probably a pretty interesting parallel to what it means to proclaim the truth in the midst of a wicked society, is that if you're proclaiming truth, instantly people are going to want you dead. If you're proclaiming the truth of God's word amongst wicked people, immediately they're going to want that word silenced. So verse 6 tells us that Herod's birthday came around. Now in the time in which Jesus lived, the, 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 the Romans and, and other uh, leaders would, would have these elaborate birthday parties. Uh, and so what they would do in these birthday parties, it would just be a wild celebration of, of gluttony and drunkenness and lewd behavior. And it would often last, you know, for, for, for a day or two, sometimes extended out periods. And so Herod's birthday comes. And what's interesting here is what takes place at this birthday party, because it says the daughter of Herodias, so this is now Herod's stepdaughter, but also his, um, be his great niece, I guess, came and danced before them, and it pleased Herod. So there's, there's much more that could be unfolded. You could almost just preach a message here and talking about the wickedness that's taking place here, not only of, of Herod allowing this to take place, but of Salome, which is the girl's name, of her mother Herodias asking her to go do this. 
Because even, even in a wicked time, even when the Romans, as, as wicked and often as they were in, in this type of, of behavior, even the cultural view towards something like this was that it was the wrong thing to do. For a young woman to go and to dance before a group of men or strangers was even at this time viewed as something that did not or should not take place. And so here, Herod is drunk. He's got all of these people here that are around him. And, and so Herodias' daughter Salome comes in and she dances before them. And this would have been some type of sexually provocative dance because the word that Matthew used there for please, it's, it's a euphemism for being aroused in, in that type of way. And so we see that there's this lust that's building up in Herod and, and, and most likely in, in all of those who were gathered there. And so what we see here again is this forward progression of sin because now as, as Herod is drunk and he's endued in, in, in with power because all of his friends are there and they're celebrating and lifting him up and he's filled with lust, he says that he was so pleased by what the daughter of Herodias had done that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she asked. This is a foolish thing for Herod to say right? I'll give you, and in fact, the scripture says in one of the other, um, in one of the other gospels that he said, even up until half of my kingdom. I think about that. He, he in this moment of, of, of lust and, 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 and desire, he says, I'll give you whatever you want, even up to half of my kingdom. It was this braggadocious type of statement. And, and there was no, probably no consideration of Herod's mind of what was actually going to come out of Herodias' daughter's mouth when she said what she wanted. I don't think there's any, any estimation that Herod knew what he was getting ready to have to do. Let's look at verse 8. He says, Having been prompted by her mother, she said, Give me here on the platter the head of John the Baptist. Now, it's easy to read past this, and we obviously think, well, how horrible this is, but I want you to really consider this. I want you to really consider the situation that's taking place here, that this young woman has been encouraged by her mother to go and dance provocatively before all these men. And not only that, her mother knew that after she did this, she's like, Herod most likely is going to give you whatever you want. He said, here's what I want for you to ask from Herod when he asks you what you want. Don't ask for kingdom. Don't ask for money or for riches. I want you to ask for John the Baptist's head on a platter. Now, we don't know how old the daughter was at this time, but most likely she was a young woman. And what a gruesome and wicked request to say, here's what I want. I want the head of this godly man, this man who has been faithful to serve God. I want his head on a platter. Prompted by her mother, they see the sinfulness not only of Herod, but we see the sinfulness of Herodias as well. This sin that they have entered into together has not only affected the two of them, but now has even affected their daughter because of the sin that she has encouraged her to be a part of. Verse 9 says that after he heard this request, that he was grieved, but that he, sent his, but he commanded it because of the oaths and because of his dinner guests, and he sent and had John beheaded in the prison. Now, as Herod did this, he was following not the customs of Jewish law, because Jewish law forbid an execution without a trial. Jewish law also forbid the use of, of beheading in the case of, of criminal punishment. So he was following after the Roman guidelines that, that he was allowed to do. But it says he was grieved, and this, this grieved is because 
many commentators believe that John knew even, excuse me, that Herod knew even as much as he hated John, he knew that in part of his mind that he was somebody to be respected. He didn't like what he had to say, but he was terrified of the consequences. He was terrified of the consequences of what John's death would be. He was terrified of the consequences of what the people would do. But notice here, this fear of man that we continue to see in Herod's life, that it says it was because of his oaths and because of his dinner guests. He had made this foolish oath to Herodias' daughter. And here he was surrounded by all of his friends. And then in the moment when he finds out what Herodias' daughter wants, he says, well, I can't stop now because I've made this oath to her and all of my friends are here and they're going to see whether I do what I said I was going to do or not. So they went and they beheaded John in the prison. It says his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother. Again, just what a, what a wicked thing we see happening here. I mean, can you imagine this? I mean, I want you to imagine those of you who are parents, I want you to imagine your young daughter, first of all, that you would do these things that Herodias has asked her to do, but then to have your daughter walking into the room, and, 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 and so many commentators pointed out to the fact of this idea of you had this silver platter, and here is, is Herodias' daughter trying to balance this man's head. And, and, and again, I, I don't want to, to be too gruesome this morning, but, but you think of the idea of she has this platter with the John the Baptist's head, the blood is, is filling the platter, and she's walking trying to balance it, and brings this into her mother as a child would bring in a Christmas present. Here, mother, look what I have done for you. Aren't you happy? Look at, look at what I've brought you. And we know that Herodias was happy because what she thought was happening in the death of John the Baptist was that she was erasing the guilt of her sin that she was erasing the record of her sin. Because if John the Baptist wasn't there to point the finger and say, you have done wrong, she said, we can just move on with our life. Really, most likely what she was afraid of was that if John continued to speak the truth to Herod, that at some point Herod might come to his senses and send her back and send her away. And she could not tolerate the thought of that. So the Scripture says that John the Baptist's disciples came, they took the body, and they buried it, and they went and reported it to Jesus. Now, as I said, there's such a powerful parallel here between one who fears man and one who fears God. Because what we find here is if we fear men, then we will be led by sin all the way to the very end of our life. But if that we fear God... We will find ourselves in the place that He wants us to be. And even though it might end in our death, it will end in His glory. So the first thing that we see here is that John, excuse me, that Herod feared John the Baptist. So there was this fear of man. So what John was preaching and what John was proclaiming was the Word of God. So who should have Herod have feared? Not John. John couldn't do anything to Herod. All John could do was stand and proclaim the truth of God's Word, which he did boldly. He was a man who was unafraid of the consequences. John the Baptist knew when he walked in before Herod, he knew most likely this would end in his death. But he went and proclaimed the truth anyway. And this is such a powerful example of what it should be for us as believers, right? Is that we should be willing to proclaim the truth no matter what the consequences may be to our physical body. 
And there's coming a time, most likely in some of our lifetimes, where we will be faced with situations like this. We tend to think, because we live in 21st century America, that something like this would never happen to us. But, but brothers and sisters, we have other brothers and sisters in Christ right now in places like China who are in prison because they are proclaiming the truth of God's Word. We have brothers and sisters in Christ who are being mutilated and murdered and killed in Africa because they're proclaiming the truth of God's Word without compromise. This is not something that just happened hundreds or thousands of years ago. This is something that's still happening in our context, in the time in which we live. And if we think that it cannot happen here, then we're deceiving ourselves. And so we've got to be willing to follow the example of John the Baptist and stand on the truth of God's Word. So Herod feared John when he should have feared God. He was afraid of the consequences that might come. He feared John's followers, again, instead of fearing God, because he thought, well, if I do these things to John the Baptist, these people might revolt, and they might cause me issue. Everything we see in Herod's life in this fear of man comes back to him trying to protect himself. He feared John not because he was convicted of his sin. There was no repentance in Herod's life. He feared John because he didn't want his power to be taken away. He feared John's followers because if there was an uprising, the Roman rulers who oversaw the providences would come in and say, Herod, you've got to get these people under control. He feared Herodias, his wife. He had no backbone. He was not the head of his family. He was not the strong pillar that he should have been in guiding his family. When Herodias had come to him even early on and said, we need to have John the Baptist killed, he should have said no. He should have had the power and the ability to do that, but he was afraid again of his wife. He was then fearful to break his oath that he had made to Herodias because he had no integrity about him. Let's consider for a moment what would have been more, uh, what would have been better for Herod to do, to keep a bad oath or to break a bad oath? It would have been for him to break it, right? Sometimes we say things we don't mean to say. Sometimes we make promises that we shouldn't have made and that are, cause us, are going to cause us to do things that we should not do. Herod, had he had integrity, would have said, you know what, I should not have made that statement. I should not have made that oath. I was drunk. I was filled with, the, with lust, and I should not have said that, but it's better for me to break that oath than it is for me to keep that oath. And then he feared his guests. He had no leadership ability. Can you imagine, as you think about great leaders of the past, whether it's religious leaders or even political leaders, can you imagine what they would, the state that we would be in if people were always afraid of what anybody else would think? Herod here, was his number one concern is, what are my dinner guests going to think if I break this oath? His concern should have been not is what these dinner guests are going to think, what is God going to think? And it's the same thing for us as believers. When we face ourselves in a difficult situation, our question should not be, what is the world going to think if I take this stand? Not is the world going to think if I say these things, but what does God expect me to do? How am I going to most honor Him? There's no fear of God in Herod's life. There was only a fear of men. You know, it's interesting, Matthew Henry had some, some powerful commentary on this passage. And he was talking about the fact that why Herod had not put John to death you know, sooner than he did. 
uh, because we know that he was angry at John. And Matthew Henry points out that wicked leaders are held back by the fear of the people. Because wicked leaders know that there's a certain point that they can go to when even the people who are rebellious or wicked people will say, that's too far for you to go. And so the, the people serve as a conscience for bad leaders. And they say, well, I can go here, but no further. Because I know that if I do this, then the people will revolt against me. And this is most likely, again, what we see happening in Herod. Herod knew, I can put John in prison, but I can't murder him. I can put John in prison, but I can't have him killed. Because if I do that, then the people will rise up against me. And the reason I thought that was interesting is because I I consider where we are in our state of our nation right now. You know, because we look at what's happening around us and we say, well, how is it that our government and that our leaders and, and so many people in power are doing so many wicked things with seemingly without any fear of what's going to happen to them? And I'm really convinced of what Matthew Henry was saying. It's because they're not afraid of the people. And what I mean by that is, is that our culture has, has acquiesced so much to not even caring about wickedness that they know they can do whatever they want and people aren't going to say anything about it. They'll say, we, we, we don't care, right? Because many people are, are living that way themselves. Our culture has, has so veered into wickedness that the leaders are saying, well, we can just do whatever we want to because the people aren't concerned and they don't care. Brothers and sisters, it is time for us as believers and as Christians to be vocal about the truth of God's Word. For far too long... The church has been told that, well, you can have your church service and you stay over here and you do what you want to do, but we're going to operate in our own way. But it cannot be that way any longer. We've got to stand upon the truth of God's word and declare that this is what God says. We've got to be willing to stand in front of leaders as, as John did here and say what you're doing is wrong and what you're doing is a sin against God and what you are doing is not right. William Barclay said of, of, of Herod here, he was too weak to admit his error. He was more frightened of a woman's tantrums than of the moral law. He was more frightened of criticism and perhaps the amusement of his guests than at the voice of his conscience. Herod was a man who could take a firm stand on the wrong thing, even when he knew what was right. And such a stand is not a sign of strength, but of weakness. You know, it's interesting as you look back at Herod, who was this man who was so concerned about being powerful, so concerned about being great. And history, for the most part, has forgotten Herod. In fact, if you were to go out and ask somebody who Herod is, if they didn't have a, a biblical knowledge of, of, of characters in the Bible, most people wouldn't even be able to tell you who Herod was. He has mostly been forgotten by history. But John the Baptist lives on. Not only in his character, but even his name. How many people, let's poll the room this morning, how many people do you know in your friends list who are named Herod? And how many are named John? Why? Because the legacy lives on. And Herod was one who feared man, but did not fear God. John the Baptist was a one who feared God because he knew what he had to do. He had true bravery on display. And this is not a bravery of strength and might. It wasn't because John was a strong, powerful man physically, but it was because he was strong and powerfully spiritually. 
He had the ability to stand before God and to proclaim the truth of God's word. And this is a thing that's only given to those who are followers of Jesus Christ. This type of power and ability to stand before wicked leaders and proclaim the truth without fear. I would encourage you sometime to read the Fox's Book of Martyrs. As you read Fox's Book of Martyrs, you read story after story after story of men and women, boys and girls, who stood for the truth of God in the face of, of just pure terror. Whether it was being thrown to the lions or crucified alive or being um, uh, lit on fire and burned at the stake. And many of these people, when you read the testimony of their lives, the dying words as the, as the fire was licking their bodies, was proclaiming the power and the truth of who God is and His glory and how happy they were to be able to die for the kingdom of God. And how does somebody do that? Well, it's because they fear God rather than man. It's because they've been filled with God's Spirit. So John had bravery on display. He was boldly proclaiming the truth no matter what the consequences were. And John stood firm when he was confronted. If you remember, I said that the text helps us to understand that what John said to Herod was not just a one-time thing, but happened on multiple occasions. And there's no doubt he was threatened even beforehand. The first time he said it, there's no doubt that Herod said to him, John, you better watch yourself. You can't say those kinds of things to me and get away with it. But John wasn't concerned. He stood firm on the truth of God's Word. And he endured the persecution of it. He was thrown into prison. Now, if we understand the prison that John was thrown into, it was most likely there at the palace where Herod lived. And they've gone back and they found where this place was and they found the prisons. They were at the bottom of this deep, basically like a well-like structure, down very deep, that in the summertime was sweltering hot in the wintertime was freezing cold, had no windows, and here was John the Baptist thrown down into this pit to suffer and to stay alone. Now we know that he was visited by some of his friends and his disciples. They were able to come and to visit him. But even in the midst of that, John stood strong. He endured. Even as he languished there in prison, there wasn't a moment where John said, we well, you know, Herod, I've changed my mind. If you'll let me out of this prison, I'll come back. And I'll, I'll change my mind and I'll soften my stance. But John endured to the end. And John died with dignity. And his death wasn't dignified. But he died with dignity. Because he died standing upon the truth of God's Word. And this is what it means to be a man who fears God. One commentator says, It's better to fear God and lose your head than to fear man and keep it. And that's true. At the end of our lives, when we come down to it, it's better to fear God and to have our life snuffed out than it is to live to a ripe old age and fear men and despise what God's Word has said. I want you to notice here at the end of verse 12, it says the disciples came and took the body and buried it, and they went and reported it to Jesus. It's interesting. They came, and you can only imagine the heartbreak of them coming and taking the headless body of this man that they loved so much, and with care taking it back and burying it, giving it the honor that it deserved, and, and, and putting it away and burying it. And then I love the fact it says that they went and reported it to Jesus. But, but I want you to think about this. They took with such care, buried John's body, put it away. This beautiful end to his life with such care and such dignity. Now history tells us that Herod and his wife were eventually ousted from their position there and were made to flee to France where they lived in relative obscurity until they died. 
And history also tells us again, and, and again, this is not in the Bible, but we're just coming from the history books of that time, that Herod's daughter, who danced here before him, later on in her life, was walking across an icy pond. The ice gave way, she fell in, and her head was cut off by the ice. Now again, we don't know the, the validity of that, but if it were to be true, what a, a stunning, ironic end to her life. But we see the difference here, don't we? This man who lived in fear of men, desiring power, lusting after power, was cast out of his kingdom and lived in relative obscurity for the rest of his life until he died a nobody. But this man who feared God, he was beheaded in such a way that many people would view as to be just what a horrible, tragic way to die. But in his, as he died, his body was carefully taken, put into a tomb, the Scripture helps us to know that he went on to receive a greater reward than anybody could ever know here on this earth. My favorite thing at the end of this passage, it says that they reported it to Jesus. Why did they report it to Jesus? Well, they knew John had told them, this is the Messiah. He'd already let them know, this is the one that you need to go to. But I think there's just a beautiful picture here that in our times of grief, and our times of sorrow, who do we need to go to? We go to Jesus. And John's disciples knew that's exactly where they needed to go. Let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for these parallels between Herod and John that teach us, Lord, the absolute necessity of not fearing men, but of fearing you. Lord, the consequences of this earth could be severe. The consequences of this earth can be painful. The consequences of this earth can be, Lord, what, what we think we, we may not even be able to tolerate. But Father, we know that through your power and through your grace that we can face every single one of them. That no matter what man may say that they will do to us or can do to us, that they cannot take away what you have given to us in forgiveness of sin and everlasting life. And that it is far better to stand upon the truth of your word and to fear you than it is to fear men. Because even if our life is taken here, we are given eternal life with you. Even if our power and our authority and our recognition is taken away here on this earth, Father, that we will be remembered by you and that your grace is sufficient. Lord, I think this text comes at a powerful time for us as believers. As we see our nation, and not only our nation, Father, but seemingly many places around the world, veering further and further and further away from righteousness and biblical truth and celebrating wickedness in so many different arenas, celebrating things that are so contrary to your word. And Lord, it is in moments like these that we not only should, but that we must stand firmly upon your truth. Stand firmly upon your word. And Lord, we're thankful that we're reminded here that if we do so, Lord, that you will give us the strength, that you will give us the power, and that ultimately you will be glorified by it. And we ask all these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.